Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Let me invite you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 18 as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke. We entitled the series, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, and He certainly is. And if you have been saved by His grace, you know that to be true from your own testimony. While you're turning there, I want to just say we uh, had the privilege yesterday of attending uh, Jonathan's, uh, Jonathan Glisson's uh, granddad's homegoing service, uh, Brother Glisson, uh, for pastor for, was it 54 years, Jonathan? No, 34 years at, uh, at Leewood Baptist. And uh, what a homegoing celebration it was. What a joy. And we're so grateful. We want to pray for the Glisson family, but we know they're rejoicing at his, his homegoing to the Lord and his faithful service to the Lord. And, uh, and just to hear uh, the testimony of his humility and his service to the Lord and his faithfulness to preach the gospel. Many of you have been around for years. You knew Brother Glisson. You knew of his ministries preached here, I'm sure. And, um, and so we're, uh, we're so grateful for the way God used him in such a mighty way through the years and helping reach many t- and come to Christ. Many raised their hand yesterday who'd come to know Christ and followed Christ in believers' baptism under his ministry. So uh, we are so grateful for his faithful testimony. This morning we're looking at Luke chapter 18 and, and one of the challenges we have as we, uh, as we preach through a gospel like this and a narrative text is to you know determine what how much of the uh, the passage we should deal with. Last week I sort of put two uh, two passages together and dealt with them. But this morning we're going to focus on just a few verses of scripture. And uh, some of you who who've been uh, who've had uh, I've had the privilege of being your pastor know that doesn't necessarily mean a short sermon. But but nonetheless, uh, you know I just wanted to focus on this passage that focuses on the cross. I thought about putting two together, and I thought, no, this is so important. We need to we need to spend some time here on on this on this passage together. So this morning we're going to look at just these these uh, few verses, thirty one to thirty four of Luke chapter eighteen. I invite you, if you're able, please, to stand with me as we read this text together. I'll be reading from the New King James translation, uh, Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. The Bible says here, then he took the twelve aside and said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man will be accomplished for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. From this passage, I'm going to bring a message I've entitled, Jesus' Death and Resurrection. It's why he came. Let's join our hearts together. Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we've had of worship. And Lord, we continue in worship now as we open the word together, as we read the word together. Lord, we look to you, our indwelling Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, our resident teacher. Lord, we thank you that you, uh, even as we see in this passage, your, the vital role that you have, Lord, to give understanding to your word. We thank you that we have you present in our lives to do that. And Lord, help us to understand a new and a fresh way. And Lord, help us not to take lightly the cross, the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and what that means for us. 
And Lord, even as these disciples did not understand, it was hidden from them, they didn't comprehend your death, your burial, resurrection, and all that you suffered on our behalf. Lord, I pray today that if there are those in our midst today who do not understand, who have not grasped why you came and what you accomplished there, I pray that you will make it known to them by the work of your Spirit, because Lord, we understand we cannot know truth apart from the work of your Spirit, apart from your Word, apart from the illumination, uh, the giving light by the Spirit to our hearts. So please do that, Father. Lord, those today who are here, uh, again, without Christ, that they'd be brought to, not to harden their heart, but to to come in repentance and faith, surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Then, Lord, those who are believers, Lord, that we might see anew and afresh, Lord, what all that does mean for us, uh, Lord, uh, in a new and a fresh way, what it means that you loved us and gave yourself for us. Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence here today. Be glorified throughout the rest of this service and through our response to you. We pray these things believing and expecting in the name of Jesus. All God's people agreed and said, amen. You may be seated. I was thinking about a, a personal illustration about this matter of understanding and I thought about a time when I was a, a little boy, uh, I was uh, walking one day with my granddad, and I can still see that. I was a real young fella, and I, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents as a child, and I love them very dearly. My granddad was a very godly man and had a, has had a great impact and continues to upon my life. But we were walking, and I remember him saying to me, he said, you know, when I married your grandmother, we were the same age. And now I'm a year older than she is. Well, I didn't really understand what my grandfather meant by that. And I didn't ask a lot of questions as a young fellow. I just heard what my granddad said and kind of took it in. Later on, after my granddad had gone on to be with the Lord, and it was just my grandmother, and my grandmother by this time was up in her 90s, one year, then prior, just close to her birthday, my aunt found my grandmother's birth certificate. By the way, my grandmother lived to be 101, lived alone at home until she went home to be with the Lord. Um, but uh, but they, my aunt found her birth certificate, and on that they realized she was a year older than what my grandmother had either thought or had said she was. So that year for her birthday, instead of celebrating, I'm going to say her 92nd birthday, we celebrated her 93rd birthday. We realized that uh, she was two years older than we thought. And then those words to my grandfather came back to my mind that when he told me, you know, we were married, we were the same age, now I'm a year older. Now I realize what my grandfather was saying. So, but it didn't come until sometime later. Well, that sort of illustrates what's happening with, with, with of course, the story here far more significant, but... The fact that these disciples heard what Jesus was saying, but yet they really didn't understand it for some time later. Jesus and his disciples were on their final journey now to Jerusalem. As I shared last Sunday, the, uh, in all the Gospels, when we get closer to the cross, to the time of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it's like uh, uh, the, the, the camera slows down. We're no longer getting little uh, snippets here and there. We're getting the full picture and, and, uh, and more of a detailed uh, timeline of what's happening and events in Jesus' ministry and Jesus' teaching to his um, 
to his disciples. And so really they're only a short time away uh, from his death. And, and the Bible tells here that he took them aside for a private session. If you'll recall in our preaching, uh, we've seen at times when Jesus was preaching uh, to the Pharisees and the disciples were there hearing that teaching. They were there. Other times maybe Jesus was teaching the disciples and the Pharisees were looking on. But now Jesus has a private teaching session with his disciples. He takes them aside and he's teaching them uh, about his death and his resurrection. This is the third time that Luke records Jesus clearly mentioning Jesus' death and resurrection. At least three or four other times he implies uh, these very significant, most significant events. But this time he gives a little more details than he has before. For example, he, he tells them here that the Gentiles are going to have a part in his death. He's going to be delivered over to uh, the Gentiles, and that is the first time that that is mentioned in, uh, in the gospel account. And so remember that this, this lesson is, uh, as we finished up uh, uh, last week with, the, with Jesus and his disciples and his, the teaching there and the rich young ruler, and uh, the, the, Peter asked that question, though, you know, we've forsaken all and followed you because Jesus had called this rich young ruler to forsake all and follow him. He was unwilling to do so. And Peter said, we've forsaken all and followed you. You know, kind of like, what, what's, gonna, what's it going to be for us? And how are we going to be? So Jesus described to him that, that yes, his, uh, his will, their willingness, that those who forsook all and followed him would be rewarded in this life and in the life to come. So, so it's on the heels of that that Jesus is teaching them about the fact that really, in reality, there's only one sacrifice that is going to be eternally significant, and that is the sacrifice that, would, that he would make in shedding his precious blood to atone for sinners. And so again, I want you to see from this passage, these verses, four truths that relate to Jesus' atoning death, the reason for which he came. First of all, notice Jesus' atoning death was a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Jesus' atoning death, and of course we know resurrection as well, was a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Jesus said there in just that first part of, of verse 31, he said, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now, again, Jesus at this time didn't go into all those uh, prophecies. He didn't tell them all, uh, all that they were. Of course, when we get over to uh, after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus with those two doubting disciples, Jesus obviously did on that road uh, go through the, the, the Old Testament and show the, the law and the prophets and show how he was spoken of by them so clearly. So this fulfillment that Jesus is, is uh, describing here is, uh, is obviously what he's describing. He's talking about this fulfillment uh, of all the Old Testament. Blake read from you th for you this morning from Genesis chapter 22, and that's certainly one of those illustrations. Uh, we could back up to Genesis 3.15, what is called the Proto-Evangelum, the first uh, gospel that's given to us when uh, from the very beginning God speaks of that time when a, the, the, uh, the seed of, of a woman, he says, is, is going uh, to bruise the, the heel of the serpent, which is Satan. Uh, obviously a reference to 
uh, the virgin birth of Jesus and, and, and that he would on the cross, while he would, his heel would be bruised there as he would die for us, that he would bruise the head of Satan, that he would destroy him. And, and so again, that's a reference to that. And again, uh, that, that passage that Blake read, Genesis 22, when Abraham would offer up his son Isaac. Uh, and, and again, the, the, the fact that he would ask, Isaac would ask, where's the lamb? Abraham would respond, the Lord himself will provide, will provide for himself a lamb. That ram being caught in the, in the thicket uh, that was provided for him to, that day as a substitute, uh, pointing to ultimately the Lamb of God, as, as John the Baptist cried out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lord Jesus is that, that Lamb that was provided for us. And again in Exodus 12, the Passover that God established there, and that a, a Lamb without blemish, without spot would be chosen. And in that Passover feast, year after year after year, that, that Lamb was offered up uh, for the, each family as was described there in Exodus chapter 12 as the blood was applied to the doorpost. Uh, again, uh, picturing our lives and, and, and picturing Christ who on that day of the Passover was offered up as the Lamb of God to take away uh, the sins of the world. The Bible says in Hebrews, he would also, in 1 Peter, offered up once for all, he was offered up on our behalf. Um, uh, again, the, on the day of atonement, the, that one day of the year, that high priest would, would enter in and offer up that, that uh, sacrifice on behalf of his family and on behalf of the, on the family of Israel. And again, the Lord Jesus is that lamb who was, who was offered up on, on our behalf again. Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. And Jesus used that as an illustration himself in John chapter 14, that as that serpent was offered up in the wilderness on behalf of the people, and, and the people looked to that, that serpent on a pole, that, that brass serpent that Jesus would be offered up so that when we look to him in repentance and faith, that we would be saved and our sin would be forgiven. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see those, those pictures and those types of Christ pointing to the Lord Jesus. So that is what Jesus is describing that is going to be fulfilled. Those are, those are certainly pictures. And then there are obviously specific prophecies which describe in perfect accuracy the death of Jesus. And I won't have time to read them all in, in all the passage even, but in Psalm 22, verse 14, uh, Jesus uh, is prophesied, obviously, by the psalmist. It says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They, they stare and gloat over me, and they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast their lots. Those things were perfectly fulfilled uh, uh, in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then again, the graphic description in Isaiah chapter 53, where again, it, it is almost as if Isaiah is there at the time of Jesus' death as he describes so fully the death of the Lord Jesus. Just a few of those verses. And Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us our peace and with his brought us peace, and with uh, his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him, Jesus, 
the iniquity of us all. And again, all throughout that passage, as you read Isaiah 52, the latter part, on into 53, again, a perfect description of what the Lord Jesus did for us. They're perfectly fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, many other passages we could mention. Zechariah chapter 12, 10 speaks of Israel concerning the one whom they have pierced. And again, these are obvious prophecies concerning the death of Jesus by crucifixion. And I would remind you that when uh, that the Jews did not execute by crucifixion, that was a, that was a Roman invention and, and, uh, and what Romans did primarily. And uh, if the Jews had executed Jesus, which by the way, if you read the Gospels, they did on several occasions attempt to take his life and to stone him to death because they used stoning as a, as a source of, of, uh, of execution. And had they been successful, then this would not have been a fulfillment. But Jesus fulfilled his hour, he often said, had not come. And so it was not until this time. And, and, and that's why, again, we see in this passage that he used the, the Gentiles, the Romans, if you will, to, to bring about this fulfillment of Scripture. And, uh, and all throughout, again, Jesus fulfilled these prophecies concerning his death and, and on our behalf. In his book, More Than a Carpenter, Josh McDowell says that there are 60 major prophecies and 270 ramifications fulfilled in Jesus. And he cites a study that shows that it would be a mathematical impossibility for one man to fulfill even as few as eight of these prophecies unless they were true. This not only, of course, affirms Jesus' Messiahship, but it also affirms the truth of the Word of God. That the Word of God is trustworthy and true. And, and, and certainly we see that. And the Lord Jesus, again, in His atoning death, uh, He is fulfilling biblical prophecy. But secondly, notice Jesus' atoning death was shameful, painful, and it accomplished God's purpose. Notice, if you will, beginning there in, in uh, verse 32, uh, not only does Jesus fulfill this prophecy of Old Testament Scripture, but Jesus also gives even more details that he perfectly fulfills himself. Uh, he describes in details his suffering on the cross, which he perfectly fulfilled. Notice, first of all, Jesus suffered rejection. Scripture says here that, you know, that he will be handed over to the Gentiles. Well, of course, we know it goes back to uh, Jesus being rejected, certainly, uh, by his own. He was rejected by one of his own disciples that he chose, rejected him, betrayed him. Uh, his own people rejected him and uh, the religious leaders, but also the people. When they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Again, they fulfill this, this rejection, this suffering of rejection that the Lord Jesus uh, experienced. And he says he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. And uh, again, the Jews had no authority to execute, so uh, they became a tool to carry out their dirty work, if you will. But they were, uh, again, and that was perfectly fulfilled as he suffered rejection. Secondly, he suffered humiliation. It says here that Jesus said he will be mocked and shamefully treated. And that was certainly done by the Jews as well as by the Roman soldiers before and during uh, crucifixion. Uh, the soldiers made that crown of thorns that they pressed into his head as they mocked him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. 
Those people cried out as he was crucified, uh, cried out uh, to him. You know, he saved others. Uh, himself he cannot save. The thieves being, uh, being crucified along with him said, if you're the son of God, save yourself and us. The Bible, Jesus said he'll be spit upon. Jesus made it clear that, again, what a, what a shameful thing that the God of the universe that could have immediately destroyed them all uh, allowed himself humili to, to, to be humiliated to the point of being spit upon. Uh, what a shameful thing that the Lord Jesus was willing to endure on our behalf. And again, hard to imagine that that could happen in the mockery of people. He also suffered what I'm calling excruciation. It says here that they, after flogging him, of course he was scourged, he was beaten with that, that Roman uh, whip, that uh, cat of nine tails it's referred to. It was a whip with multiple strips and on the end of each strip was embedded either bone or steel or, or glass that, that would rip across a person's back as it did the Lord Jesus and, uh, and would rip out the flesh in so doing. And, and the psalmist described that he was not even, he was so marred, he didn't even look human as he was flogged and beaten. And then it says that they will kill him. He was crucified, nailed through with his, his hands and, and feet to that cross where he bled and died for six hours, a long and painful death that the Lord Jesus endured for us. But then forth, he suffered condemnation. And again, I, I believe no movie, even though movies have been made to try to depict the physical suffering of Jesus, nothing can fully describe and, and portray the spiritual suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ as he bore our condemnation. As the Bible says here that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, imagine, uh, you know, we know what it is early in our life when we are caught and, and when we're punished and disciplined as children growing up. We know the, the shame of sin. We know what it is to sin, but Jesus had never sinned. But now he became sin for us. And again, uh, our sin was placed upon him on the cross. He became sin for us. And, and that is uh, not only that, but again, all of God's holy wrath poured out upon him. All of our hell dead, all of that which we deserve to eternally be separated in hell forever and ever was poured out upon the Lord Jesus. All the wrath of a holy God that we deserve, the Lord Jesus bore in his, in his body on that cross. That's why no wonder he cried out from the cross shortly before his death, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father had to do that as the Lord Jesus became our sinless substitute and was atoning for our sin. Romans 8, 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus endured the the pain of the cross. He endured the, the shame of the cross. 
He endured all of this, including, but, but, the, but his death was not without purpose. It was no mistake. It was no accident. It was, it was no fail of his, failure of his plan. It was God's plan. He was slain before the foundation of the world. And the Lord Jesus is dying in order that, again, our sin could be forgiven and that we might have a right relationship now with God in Christ. So again, Jesus' own prophecies of his death were exactly fulfilled just as, as he said they would be. And, and again, this demonstrates that he is God, that he is trustworthy, that his word uh, can be believed. Everything he said happened as he said it would. And again, that reminds us today that everything that he has said throughout his word can be trusted. His word is, is trustworthy, and everything he said uh, can be count, accounted on and, and believed about heaven, for example. But also everything he said about hell and eternity and separation from God forever can be, can be trusted in, as true because his word is true. Jesus' atoning death was shameful, painful, and it accomplished God's purpose. But third, notice Jesus' atoning death was vindicated by his resurrection. The last part there, verse 33 says, and on the third day, he will rise. We sang about it this morning. Amen. It's like, you know, that's why every Lord's day is a resurrection Sunday. Every day is a resurrection day. Amen. Because we live in the light of the resurrection. Brian Bell said that, that there's not a single instance when Jesus foretold his cross, but that he at the same time he foretold his resurrection. The psalmist prophesied in Psalm 16:10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that he, that he died according to the Scriptures, that he was buried according to the Scriptures, that he was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. Again, Romans 4, 25 shows us that the, that the resurrection of Christ is, the, is an essential part of the gospel message. He was, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We, are, we cannot be justified apart from that, made right with God, made righteous. So again, faith in our resurrected Lord is essential, the Bible says, uh, to salvation. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. John MacArthur said, without the resurrection... Christianity would be so much wishful thinking, taking its place alongside all the other human philosophy and religious speculation. If the gospel stopped with the cross, we would be moved by God's compassion for us. If it ended with the grave, we would, be, we would know that God could relate to our sorrow in death, but there would be no good news. The resurrection puts the good in good news. Amen? He is alive. Jesus is alive. But fourth, I want you to see Jesus' atoning death was not understood until after the resurrection. Again, even though, again, we already pointed out that this is not the first time Jesus told, and we've read about it, and we saw the, not only the, the explicit times when Jesus said this is going to happen, but, uh, but even the implied times that Jesus uh, taught that to his disciples, but they still did not comprehend his death and resurrection. If you recall, uh, when Jesus told about this, uh, then and Peter uh, Peter rebuked him, and uh, and he got rebuked for his rebuke, and so uh, they sort of 
even though they didn't comprehend it, understand it, or accept it, they just kept their mouth shut. They weren't asking any questions. Nine, Luke 9, 44 and 45 says, Jesus said, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Why was it so difficult? Why did they not grasp it? Why did they not understand it? Well, we know for one thing in their Jewish tradition, their teaching, they, uh, their theology about the Messiah did not include a, a, the, a Messiah that would come to die. You see, they had, they had this idea that the Messiah is going to come, and especially when they were under oppression like they were now at this particular time in history, they were under the Roman uh, government, and uh, that's when their longing for the Messiah just became so great, and where their expectation from the Messiah would be so great. Uh, that they believed the Messiah would, would come, he would, he would establish a glorious kingdom, he would defeat all the opposing nations, uh, again, uh, he would, uh, he would uh, set up this, this kingdom, he would, uh, he would become the center of Israel, therefore, would become the center of the world, uh, Jerusalem would be restored to all of its glory, uh, the, the Jews that had been dispersed to other nations would, would return uh, to, their, to their land, uh, and again, again, with all the other nations uh, subject to the, the, the nation of Israel, uh, then they, they uh, believed that the Messiah would then reign in peace and righteousness forever. So there was no place in their theology for uh, a dying Messiah, and certainly not, no, therefore no need for a resurrected Messiah. So he didn't fit into their theology. And they couldn't accept it. Even these guys who, who had fallen and been with him day after day for at least three years, they, they just couldn't grasp this. They, they couldn't accept this. And, uh, and of course, uh, the Bible says to us, and it's still true, that people don't grasp this. They don't understand this. First, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. And that is still the attitude then of people, that, that it's a major barrier that they can't get past. And that's why, again, you see so many of the people that Jesus taught trying to establish their own righteousness, trying to, uh, through religion and, and, uh, and through, their, through their own theology, through their own means, trying to somehow uh, gain acceptance in God's sight. And, and, and that, that will not be accepted. The only kind of righteousness that God receives and is worthy uh, and that, that can, is that which Christ has accomplished for us. With the, Christ, the righteousness of Christ that the Bible says that because he died for us, became sin for us, we now, the Bible says, can be righteous in Christ only when we turn from our own sin. As we've seen these uh, that Jesus described uh, coming into the kingdom, uh, Jesus gave them uh, illustrations of people that they, they didn't imagine, uh, that it was that publican, uh, that sinner uh, who cried out, God, have, be merciful to me, a sinner, rather than that religious Pharisee. That didn't make sense to them. They would have chosen the, that rich young ruler, uh, not some little child, as one who might receive righteousness. All of these things uh, are, are contrary to their, to their thinking. And so I want to just say to you, dear, dear friend, that reminds us again that, that we cannot be saved apart from God's supernatural enlightening and enabling of our hearts and minds and wills. Uh, yes, we are still responsible for our unbelief. 
But, but, but God has to intervene, and God wants to intervene in our lives. And, 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 uh, and so uh, Jesus, as we saw on the road to Emmaus, he said in Luke 24, 25, and 26, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? If you'll recall that story, it was on that road that their eyes, the eyes of their heart were opened, that they came to realize who Jesus was. They came to realize, and, and these disciples, as they began to see the risen Christ in his uh, post-resurrection appearances, they had that aha, aha moment, if you will. Oh yeah, though this is what Jesus said. He told us this was going to happen. He told us he would die, that he would be buried, that he'd be raised again. And they, they understood and, and then uh, realized what Jesus had, had told them. The eyes of their heart were open. So God, again, has to intervene and, and enable us to, to understand these things. But that, there's also a word for us even as... Uh, as believers, because these disciples were believers. It reminds us again that, that in God's sovereign wisdom, he knows what we can handle and, uh, and when we can handle it. Uh, and, and it also reminds us about um, the fact that we don't have a handle on everything. And, uh, and, and there there's a, should be a word of encouragement for us uh, in that. Think about again in this, in this story about, about Jesus' patience. With, the, with his disciples, his love for his disciples, how patient he was, that though he was teaching them this truth, they didn't, they didn't get it. They, they, in a sense, really rejected it, uh, but he just continued to teach it. He continued to show them, and he, he was still committed to his plan. If, if we had been there and, and our disciples, if we had disciples, were responding the way Jesus' disciples were, we'd be overwhelmed with discouragement. We would think that our mission had failed and, and that we weren't going to make it. But the Lord Jesus knew. He knew their hearts and he knew what was going to happen. And he knew God was going to reveal this truth to them. They were going to understand. And I want to remind you that, to, to, again, as we talked in our evangelism class this morning, this is why we have to be patient, uh, again, with people who don't understand yet, who don't understand the gospel, because God was patient with us, amen? God was patient with us, and, and, and he continued to pursue us by the work of his spirit, and he brought uh, his witness to our life to share the gospel with us, and he continued to pursue us until he brought us to that place of understanding and brought us to that place of repentance and faith. So again, rejoice in that and, and, and praise God for that. And again, uh, come to him today. If you're here without Christ, I, I want to say to you that, that God is, loves you. You know, he spoke to, he spoke to Nicodemus, uh, and, and Nicodemus didn't understand the new birth. And uh, he said, how can, a, how can a man enter into his mo mother's womb the second time when Jesus talked to him about the new birth? And so Jesus uh, patiently worked with Nicodemus. And we believe by the end of Jesus' uh, Jesus uh, ministry and at the resurrection, Nicodemus had come to faith in Christ, we believe, evidenced by the fact that he came to help uh, take the body of Jesus and, and to bury the body of Jesus. So, so God worked in him and was patient in pursuing him. And he's patient in pursuing you. So praise God for that. And, and I want to say to you once again that if you're here without Christ, it's one thing to be like many of these we've seen who are willful in their rejection, who, who, uh, who say no and, and who are willfully blind and choose to continue to say no to him and reject him. But if you're here today and you say, I, I, I want to understand, I don't understand, but I want to understand, you'd be like that father who, said, who Jesus spoke to and asked if he believed. And he said, well, I believe, but, but help my unbelief. 
So if you will come to him and say, Lord, help my unbelief. I, I want to understand. I want to know. Then God will honor that for you even as an unbeliever. And so I encourage you to, to, to cry out to him and, 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 uh, and to come to him as a little child in, in, in humility and brokenness, totally dependent upon him. But again, also even as a believer, there's a word for us of encouragement in this as well. You know, um, we have a tendency to we have a tendency to want to think that we have to explain everything, that we have to know everything there is to know, and uh, and, and we uh, we be, we can become proud in, even in our knowledge. But I'm, I'm grateful to know that even though I've been on the journey for quite a few years, there, there's still a lot I don't know. What about you? And and I can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I I just need you to teach me in this. And you know, that's exactly there's several areas in my in my understanding of, of the Word of God that I'm just saying, Lord, please help me to help me. Give me a teachable spirit, and Lord, help me to, as I humble myself, and teach me about this. And, uh, and, and you know, the Lord, again, is, is patient, and the Lord is loving, and the Lord is full of grace and mercy. And that brings great comfort to my heart that we don't have to have full understanding of everything. He knows it, and that keeps us uh, hopefully humble and teachable before the Lord. And then it also causes us to realize we're in a journey. It's called sanctification, that God is teaching us, and God is conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So praise God for the indwelling spirit who now illumines the word of God and teaches us and continues to teach us on this journey. Well, let me just say several things to you in, in way of application about this passage to our lives. Just again, rem remind you that, that uh, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the prophecies concerning his, his death and resurrection. And, uh, and in the same way as his word uh, is proven true, uh, and, and that he can be trusted with every detail of your life. Amen. The God who would send his son Jesus in perfect fulfillment, and then the same Lord Jesus who would perfectly fulfill what he said he would do is a God you can trust. Secondly, I remind you from this passage that Jesus' death demonstrated God's holy wrath against sin. And it certainly does but also it demonstrates his great love for sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Also, as we think about the resurrection, yes, we, we know that the resurrection is absolutely essential for our salvation, but also the cross as well as the resurrection is, is absolutely essential for our victory, for our power. The word of God said in Philippians, uh, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You see, his, his death and his resurrection also makes it possible for us to live victoriously as well. I want to ask you a question today. Do you understand the cross? The disciples didn't understand the cross. They didn't understand the resurrection, not at this point in their lives anyway. Do you understand? Do you understand? And have you responded to the cross through repentance and faith and, 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 and surrendering your life to Jesus as Lord? If not... In a few moments, we're going to give you a time of, of response to ask you to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel, and surrender your life to Christ, to respond to why he came. And then one final word, and that is this. Again, I want to challenge you today to keep on sharing this gospel. As I shared with our class this morning, I shared with someone recently, uh, someone who's professed faith, at least in the past, um, who responded to me when I was seeking to share the gospel. Yeah, I know the story. And I said, well, you know, I know you know the story. I know you've heard the story. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 first of all, I want you to hear it again because 
Apparently, this person has not responded to the gospel. But also, I need to hear the story again. I need to tell the story. I need to hear it. And, and one of the reasons I just wanted to preach this passage today is because, again, the gospel never gets old. And the gospel is not just something that, that, that we share with unbelievers. The gospel is something that we want to hear, even as that song says. We, we love to hear and to tell the story. So keep on sharing the gospel uh, with people uh, who may seem to be disinterested, who it may not immediately receive you. Keep on looking for ways and opportunities to share the good news that Jesus loved us, that he died for us, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he's alive right now, and that through responding in repentance and faith and surrender to our lives to Christ, one can be eternally saved and transformed. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.